0: Welcome to your 2012 January-February Combo Edition of Voices of Experience. I'm your host, Brian Walter. And for the next seven months, we are going to explore, debate, scrutinize, unpack, repack, comment on, occasionally mock, and continuously celebrate the art and business of speaking professionally. So,
1: let's get to it. Hey everybody, David Newman with another Point Counterpoint Solo Edition This time I'm talking to my good friend Scott Ginsberg, the name tag guy, as we unpack a variety of controversial issues within NSA to help you make some smart decisions about your speaking business. Scott, let's start Memorized Speech versus Spontaneous Presentation.
2: This isn't Broadway. If you memorize your speech, you've lost your authenticity. The audience is going to know it, they're going to smell it, and you have eliminated any room to add spontaneity to your presentation, and therefore you're not a human being, you're a robot. Don't do it. Professionals memorize? That's a popular jingoism. Is it? I never heard that. Could be wrong. You know, you don't need to memorize when you've lived your work and when you embody the wisdom. You don't need to memorize it because it comes from your heart and it comes out your mouth. You don't need a script. Let's talk about
1: the famous yin and yang, black and white, motivation versus
2: content. It's impossible to motivate people. There are two things you can do. You can tap into their existing inherent motivation or you can remove their unmotivators. You can't motivate anybody. Motivational speakers is a terrible name. On the other hand, what was it, inspiration? is it? Motivation versus content. Excuse me, versus content. Content is motivating. And I said, writing is the basis of all wealth. That's content. And that motivated the hell out of people. So if you do it right, it's the same thing.
1: So content is motivating. Would you also agree that it goes the other way, that motivation, if done correctly, is a form of content?
2: Disagree. I believe motivation is not a form of content. Motivation, it's an emotional response. It's a trigger. And it's what people do as a result. So... um I mean, unless, you're, unless your content is on on motivation and that whole thing, um, no. It, it, motivation is not a form of content. Let's talk about my
1: least favorite subject, which is speakers' bureaus.
2: Bureau heavy versus bureaus or Satan? Um, bureaus are vestigial organs. They're phone books. And they're slowly outliving their usefulness. I'm not saying they're the devil. I'm not saying I'm never open to working with them, because I'd be happy to. I think the challenge for bureaus is to recognize that they're slowly uh, getting outplaced, outclassed, and outmarketed by clients who want to work with Speakers Direct or clients who want to work with Speaker uh, Representation Services, which is sort of like that sort of middle ground third option. So yeah, bureaus have have worked for a long time. And I think like a lot of things, um, everything has a life cycle. And when something outlives its usefulness, you got to be smart and to recognize, wait a minute, I'm not relevant anymore.
1: Is there a way that you could see them changing their business model to become much more relevant and to truly add value as they originally used to?
2: If the bureaus were smart, they would look more at what some of like the, the speaker broker services are doing, which I think is kinda of cool, kind of organizing and because essentially in a bureau, a speaker's inventory. And who wants to be treated like inventory? So My question is, is there a way? And and granted, I've never worked with a bureau, so what the hell do I know? I I think there's got to be a way that bureaus could position themselves as resources for speakers and not line items.
1: Let's talk about the pure speaking model versus speaker, coach, consultant, plumber, facilitator, electrician.
2: Speaking is not what you do. Speaking is a delivery mechanism for how you think. Say it again. Speaking is not what you do. It's a delivery mechanism for how you think. So if all you do is speak, you don't have a business. If all you do is speak, you have no audience outside of your audience. If all you do is speak, you have zero equity. It doesn't mean you have to be a coach. It doesn't mean you have to consult. But the question is, when there's another 9-11, when there's uh, 9-11-2014, uh, uh, we're screwed. When uh, there's another swine flu, we're screwed. When uh, the economy t- – oh, wait, the economy did tank. So we're already screwed. So if you're not diversifying yourself and positioning with alternative ways that people can use you, you're screwed. So that's the whole question. It's like when someone comes to your website, it shouldn't be, should we hire him? The question should be, how should we
1: use him? Scott, tell me about social media, specifically – Social media maven versus social media time waster.
2: Social media is a tool. Social media is helpful. Social media increases your platform. Social media will not make you money. The only people making money on social media are people using social media to teach social media to other people using so. Right. It's the, it's the online pyramid scheme. So you can use social media for that reason. I think the secret is to make social media uh, incidental, not intentional. Here's the distinction. If it's intentional, your intention is to grow your platform. Your intention is to write every single day. Your intention is to reach an audience outside of the audience in your room. If that's your intention, incidentally, you will use social media to support that. The problem is it's a vortex. And I spend like set, literally seven minutes a day on social media. So if you calculate that, seven minutes out of whatever, 12, 10 hours a day, that's not a lot because it doesn't need to be. When I'm writing all day, I, oh, that was a good sentence. Cut and paste, put it on Twitter, get back to work. That's it. Five seconds. Do that 50 times. That's like seven minutes. Throw it on Facebook. So it's easy. And if you don't uh, do that, if you don't put a, a cap on it, don't put a boundary, you will get sucked into the vortex and get trapped on the treadmill of the inconsequential.
1: Let me dig further into that one because that's brilliant. How do you keep those micro interruptions from impacting your day?
2: I'm amazed that people still don't know how to keep the interruptions. Just close the window. It's not that hard. No, but even stopping
1: what you're doing, as you just said, copy, paste, slap it on Twitter, done. Five seconds.
2: Copy, open up Twitter, paste. I don't read people's tweets. I don't read people's Facebook stupid news streams. I got books to write. I don't care what uh, my ex-girlfriend's sister had for breakfast. I don't care that my great- Uncle's niece's dog has te- testicular cancer. Just do what you need to do. Focus on the work that matters. Just just get on with your life. Let's talk about niche
1: versus no niche.
2: There's a cycle. In the beginning, you have no niche. And by the beginning, I mean sort of when you start. When you begin, and I've been around for eight or nine years, so I've learned a couple things. In the beginning, you do anything you can to get in front of people. You speak anywhere, anytime on any topic, and you should. After a while, Coming to your FNSA meetings, oh, I've got to have a niche. So fine, you pick a niche. could be a niche market, which means you are known to someone. could be a niche topic, which means you're known for something. You get one of those, you get in your niche, you're rocking and rolling. After a while, you get pretty successful, and you begin to expand your repertoire, and now you're more of a generalist. I mean, take Alan Weiss, for example. Started out focusing on management consulting, then got more specific, but now he's more general He hits a lot of different areas, and I do the same myself. I focused initially on name tags. That was it. And then it kind of focused. But now it's sort of grown. And I talk about approachability and identity and execution. And I think over time, over the trajectory of a career of someone in this industry, you will start niche And you will grow into a more generalized thing. Because eventually, when you're huge, when you're big time, they don't care what you talk about. They just want you there.
1: And you talked about two really important things. One is topic. Two is audience. And what I'm hearing you say is over time, they both should evolve.
2: I hope so. Um, If you are speaking to the same people you've spoken to for the past 20 years, you're not growing. Um, And same goes with topic. Example, when I started uh, in 2002, the first couple of, well, first, I don't know, maybe dozen or so speeches I gave were in workforce development which is, I love those people. They're government people. They're cool. They have money, which is good. Uh, and they're great though. I mean, they, they work with people in workforce and unemployment and it's a great industry. And I rocked that for a lot of years and just kind of slowly faded out of it. And I might've outpriced it. Um, might've outgrown it. Whatever happened, happened. It's totally cool. And now I'm working with all kinds of new clients and I love them and they're very different. And. If I was still working with Workforce, I mean, maybe I wouldn't have grown in the way I did. So um, who knows? Maybe the pendulum will swing and it'll come back in a few years. But I think that over time, not only does our content evolve, but so does our audience.
1: Let's talk about selling from the platform. Yucky? Brilliant? Necessary?
2: If you're amazing, you will sell from the platform. And I'm not talking about an amazing pitch that you learned in a seminar on how to sell product without looking like you're selling product. Like, no. Um, I I always sort of appreciated the Larry Winget Winget approach. Be amazing because Larry Winget said, I love this one, Uh, if they love you, they'll buy everything you have or they'll stalk you, which is good too. Let's
1: talk about extreme customization versus no customization.
2: It depends. I mean, I I certainly uh, go out of my way to do some customizing, but it's amazing how little you have to do for them to believe that it was just about them. And I'm actually glad you brought this up because yesterday I read one of the most profound things I've ever read. Julia Cameron wrote a book called The Artist's Way. It's a series of books that changed my life. And she's a fiction writer and and also nonfiction and, and does everything. So she talks about in a book, she was writing a book on Magellan. All right. So in her research on Magellan, she learned that In Magellan's sort of daily life, he kept raisins in his desk. Every day, and and on the boat, and wherever he was exploring, doing his whole thing, raisins were always there. And she found out that the reason Magellan kept raisins there is because it prevents scurvy. And she said, that one detail wrote the whole book. And so our job as speakers is to find the raisin. What is the raisin? I'm going to speak to IT directors at a call center. What's the raisin? What's the one thing that I could say that makes them go, whoa, boy, do they know me? For example, I worked with uh, the Iowa Hospital Association. They rocked. It was mainly women. It was a volunteer auxiliary meeting and a lot of doctors and nurses and volunteers. And they were like, totally cool. And the raisin, one of my clients gave me, one of my clients is a nurse. And he told me that, um, see if I can get this correct. If it doesn't relate to patient care, they don't care. And I said that, that was my raisin. And wow, you you really know our industry. You really, No, I don't, but thank you. So find the raisin.
1: And you brought your pack of raisins to that one. I do. Let's, and, let's, and to everyone. Let's
2: eat some now, yes.
1: Delicious. Scott, you made mention of this earlier, but I want to dig further into another NSA nugget. Speak for free lots versus speak for free never.
2: I would rather speak for free than not at all. Next question.
1: Closely related, by the way. Next question. Fee integrity. Fee integrity is the fee is the fee is the fee versus fee integrity is what's keeping you
2: broke. Fee integrity is what's keeping you broke. That's good. Just because you negotiate doesn't mean you lack integrity. It means you're creative. It means you're viable, and it means you're willing to make people happy. So here's an example. Let's say someone doesn't have my fee. You know, we only got $2,000. So, bucks. Well, you know, it's a killer audience. More than my fee, by the way. Nice killer audience. Like, I think it'd be a great opportunity. Like, I don't have any speeches for like a month. I may as well take it. And you find out, oh, they're going to videotape it. Done. I will take it. I will speak for free for video. I will whore myself out for video because video gets me booked. I want footage of me Everywhere, because video is content, and when people see me speak, they will give me money. So, in my opinion, um, you still have absolute integrity. Here's the secret: when you negotiate your fee, so let's say let's say your fee is ten grand, and they say, "Well, well, I only got five. They say, "Well, let's do this." And on your on your uh, uh, whatever your performance confirmation, you say, "Fee ten thousand dollars." Asterisk. This fee has been waived for the following considerations: a, a stipend of five thousand dollars will be paid. B. Client agrees to videotape the presentation and the speaker retains all rights. C, client agrees to recommend speaker to three other organizations who can pay his full fee upon successful completion of the program. If that's not integrity, I don't know what is.
1: Brilliant. Are there other things in the name tag negotiating punch list?
2: Absolutely. I think all of us should have that list together. So, you know, you got video, you got, and I don't want that whole like, well, we're going to let you travel for a week. No, we're not doing that. Um, Certainly, though, if uh, I went to Jamaica and my girlfriend got to come, that to me is worthwhile because I wanted her to watch me. So I think that we can sort of put our list together. Buy books is a great thing. Interviews. um, I mean, I've certainly traded a bunch of interviews for not having as much money, which is fine with me. Uh, so I think there are ways that we can do it. We just got to be smart and you got to have that arsenal ready to go. So you can say, you know, here are some considerations other clients have done. And I think that if we can do this, that honors both of us. And I'd be happy to work with you in that way.
1: I saved the best for last.
2: <laughs> Boxers.
1: Cold calling rocks versus cold calling is for idiots.
2: I've never done cold calling, so... I- I don't know if it rocks, I think it probably sucks, and I think it probably is for idiots. Um, Kirsten Carey recently, during a presentation, said one of the most brilliant things I think I've ever heard. She said, I don't cold call because I don't want to be cold. And I think our challenge as speakers is not just to avoid cold calling, but to avoid being cold. Cold calling works for some people,
1: or so they claim. Um, What's your take if someone's getting some advice About, you gotta work the phones, you gotta be on the phone, you gotta call 10 clients a day, 10 prospects a day. It's worked for me, so it's gonna work for you.
2: I think that we need to ask people to buy every day of our lives. I think that's important, and I do it, um, but I don't, I don't use the phone. Here's what I do. I use, um, I use CTAs, call to actions, I, and I build response mechanisms into everything I do. So when people, and it's always an email. People will email because they want a copy of a particular list that I promised them at the end of a piece of content, which I'm happy to do. So 30 to 50 times a day, I get, I get leads. 30 to 50 leads a day because people email me because they read something and I write them back and I'm essentially asking them to buy because I tell them, well, yeah, the list is on my website. You know, it's free. It's enjoy. P.S. Here's all the services I have. Please buy them. I literally list out every way someone can give me money and say, cool. And you know what they do? They buy. That ain't a cold call. That's just being approachable.
1: Bingo. Scott Ginsburg, you're a rock star. I love you, man. Thanks for joining us on Point Counterpoint. I love you, too.
0: All right, here we are with Building the Biz, and we are with Colette Carlson, M.A., which stands for Master of... Human Behavior. So I guess the A doesn't stand for anything other than Human (laughs) Behavior. Okay. It's
3: a Master of Arts in Human Behavior.
0: You could actually get that.
3: Believe it or not, uh, you can, and it's one step away from having your marriage and family counseling degree. So if I would have done an internship following in that, I would have had an MFCC. So you were like... One internship away from an even I cooler was. acronym. I could have gone there, but, you know, I figured just stick with what I had. All
0: right. So we are talking with you today about testimonials. Hold on, everyone. And you're going, testimonials, click. Nope, nope, nope. Hold on. You have tons of awesome testimonials that I personally read on your site here. And my understanding is that that this is kind of a strategic core of how you get business.
3: Correct. Years ago, uh, coming from a strong sales background, I used to put the butts in the chairs for Tommy Hopkins and Brian Tracy. And so I can still remember when we would travel the country, it was so easy to get into offices to try and get those seats based on testimonials from other offices that had had success. And Tommy Hopkins was always on the platform saying, if I say it, people tend to doubt it. If others say it, it tends to be true. So it just resonated with me. And so I was always really good from the beginning. Then I attended NSA, and I heard about not only you know asking for the testimonial, but going so far as to offer to draft it. And like I was like, oh, I don't know if I could. Do that. But uh, what originally happened is I had an opportunity, a dear friend, I stayed home for 10 years with my kids, Brian, took 10 mm-hmm. years off, raised the girls, make sure they would eat fruit and do their homework before I ditched them again. <laughs> and bottom line, uh, a dear friend double booked and called me up and said, oh my gosh, Claude I double booked. Would you do me a favor and fly to Montreal and do a customized sales program for Merck Pharmaceuticals? And I said, yes.
0: Like, this was a decade off.
3: You got it. Sure. Let's just jump right to Merck. Exactly. That was my thought. You just say yes and you figure it out later. Mm -hmm. So I went and I did some ride-alongs with some reps in San Diego where I live so I could customize the material and flew there and believe I did a very good job. Following, they have this intense evaluations that they passed out, and I was fortunate enough to be able to read those before having to turn them in and so I totally pulled out my NSA learning experience and went up to the VP of sales and said you know here's the happy sheets from the program and if you believe after reading them that I've provided value would you go so far as to write a testimonial for me it would just rock and really help me out and he said sure like most people will say and then I pulled out the NSA thing which was and listen I know when you get back you're just gonna be overwhelmed and have so many emails and I so appreciate you doing this for me So, you know, I'll, if it's cool with you, I'm just going to draft something up, you know, edit it away, don't use any of it, but I so appreciate it, I'd like to help you with it. And he said, sure, send it to me, and literally five days later, it came back on Merck Pharmaceutical Stationery, five copies of it, uh, and it went on my very first brochure, and I made sure I put in there exactly what I wanted to say, you know international conference. I mean, it was Montreal. Sure. Uh, you know, customize the material through ride-alongs. I mean, mm-hmm. just stuff that I really wanted to be present. And I went, wow, that worked. Now, that didn't say that my heart wasn't palpitating when I was asking or I wasn't feeling a little pushy and, and overwhelmed, but I did it anyway.
0: So feel the fear, do it anyway.
3: Oh, yeah. Susan Jeffers had it right years yes, ago.
0: <laughs> exactly.
3: Yeah.
0: All right, so, so that was then, mm-hmm. and now we fast forward to today, um, and that's a classic, which is code for old school, you know, way of, and it was on the paper letterhead, (laughs) and I wrote it my stinking self, and da-da-da. Do the old ways still work?
3: Believe it or not, they do. Now, I've incorporated a lot of new ways along with it. So not only do I ask immediately following a program and offer to, you know, help them with it if they'd like it. Now, I'm going to pause for a moment here and digress because a lot of times they'll say, well, you know, we'd love to do that. In fact, we get all the feedback from the keynote conference in about three weeks. People send it in. And then what I do in that circumstance is right away ask for permission to touch base again. Wonderful. Then can I follow back up with you in a few weeks once you get that about this? So, it sort of stops me from having to be the stalker when I go back. Um, so, I set that up. Um, but then I upfront decide how I want to use this testimonial. So, would this be best on my Facebook page, on my LinkedIn page? Do I want a hard copy on their stationery? And based on what avenue it is, I make that determination, and that's the format that I request it in. I still find, though, that it's very beneficial to get the hard copies. When I find a conference that is similar to a conference that I've spoken at before. I personally believe it's the testimonial that makes the difference. So for example, I happened to speak at a dental conference. I got a beautiful letter of recommendation. That was the letter of recommendation that I sent to the Arizona Dental Association, which then got me in that door. I got a testimonial from them. Those two forwarded to the American Dental Hygienist Association is why I believe I got the immediate call back to come in. They didn't know me from Adam, but what they saw was, okay, she speaks to our people.
0: Got it, because you have the proof points of the people have spoken.
3: That's right, and I get into detail with it. I just spoke at the National Association of Professional Organizers. You can imagine, given that they're organizers, how exact and anal their feedback and evaluation <laughs> forms are. So I probably received over four to 500 personalized comments about my sales presentation. Now, the good news is they were good. <laughs> yes. But I took it one step further. I had already asked the event planner if I might have that testimonial. But then I went through those evals and I actually highlighted the ones that said what I would like to have said within that testimonial because they were the statements that showed what someone's going to do different as a result of being in that chair. And I know that has more impact. So when I, I highlighted those and said, if you are looking to put exact testimonial quotes in from attendees, these would fit the mold beautifully.
0: So you, in essence, provided them the sub quotes to put into the testimonial letter quoting how wonderful you are.
3: Ask and you shall succeed.
0: (laughs) Nice, nice. Now, another thing in your website I've noticed uh, that, again, right at the top of the tabs, you know, you know, about you, blah, 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 you know, your titles and your programs and stuff. It says client raves not just client testimonials, but client raves. I assume that was intentional.
3: It was. It's one of those things that, you know, if I'm really speaking my truth, I find that awkward. Um, It's not so easy to brag and yet we have to promote. Mm -hmm. So I try to look for ways to say it in a fun way because fun is sort of my style. Uh, So, yes, I said clients rave, and I just decided to get over it and stick it up there.
0: (laughs) Client raves as opposed to carefully selected quotes about me. Yes,
3: Things that are going to make me look good, yeah.
0: (laughs) So I clicked on that and dropped down, and there was all these nice, you know, uh, one or two-line quotes on the right. But on the left, I think there was five, six, seven actual video clips from high-profile clients. So tell us about how you get those.
3: I ask I got over, again, being uncomfortable, putting someone on the spot, and I simply said, you know, when they come up and they, they are basically praising you, it's just such an opportunity. I just turned to them and say, point blank, you know what, it is comments like this that really helped me grow my career. Would you be willing to allow me to record what you just said? Now, it's easier to get guys to do it than women, and I speak primarily to so many large scale women's conferences that it's sometimes harder to get, not because the women don't want to give you the gift, but they're right away like, well, my hair, you know, I mean, they're concerned about how they look, just like I would be if I was asked. That's I mean, you know, no,
0: and no bald guy ever said, <laughs> oh, my hair. I say that because it's I such a an guy.
3: advantage. Trust me. Uh, so, you know, but I ask and most of the time people will say yes or they'll say, you know, let me run to the bathroom and freshen up and come back. But they're really kind about offering.
0: And do they come back? They do, or do they you do. stalk them and you go in there? Knock, 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 knock. You've been <laughs> yeah. in there for twenty minutes. Yeah, exactly. I still here with my flip video camera. I don't camera. hear
3: anything. Yeah. Uh, so yes, I, they do come back. They do come back. You know, really, it's like anything. You have to risk being real and asking for what you want if you if you're going to get it. What's your speaker IQ?
0: Yes. Now it's time to quickly quiz you on non-trivial trivia. This edition focuses exclusively on a vital topic: the upcoming NSA Winter Conference. Question number one. The name and theme of the Winter Conference is A, soar with the eagles, B, suck with the anteaters, C, fudge your fees, or D, monetize your message. And the answer is monetize your message, which is about reevaluating, reinventing, and repositioning ourselves with more innovative products, services, and solutions. Number two, true or false? Diana Boer, CSPCPAE, will give a mega session on integrating traditional publishing and your own ebooks and products to build a substantial asset and revenue stream for a lifetime, which she calls the selling cyclone. And the answer is false. Oh, she will give a mega session on that topic, but it's called the umbrella concept. Number three, fill in the blank. The Winter Conference will feature toolkit sessions that focus on a single skill with step-by-step guidelines. Skills like how to build a green screen studio, format your book for eKindle, create a YouTube channel, set up a Facebook fan page, and record and edit audio with audacity. Each of these toolkit sessions will last for exactly blank minutes. Hmm? Hmm? How many of you thought a brisk 30 minutes? Well, you'd be wrong. (laughs) The answer is an even brisker 20 minutes, and you get to attend two of them. Number four, the ultimate keynoting mega session will be delivered by a speaker who is presented to over two million people in 50 countries. And that speaker is A, probably earning more than you do, B, knows how to create powerful onstage experiences, C, is Randy Gage, or D, is Bill Stainton. And the answer is... Everything I said, except for Bill Stanton. And number five, final question, fill in the blank. The winner conference is February 3rd through 5th in Dallas. And if you haven't registered yet, you should blank, blank, blankety, blank, 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 blank. Actually, I'll let you figure out the answer to that one. And now it's time for an interesting segment, Stuff Speakers Should Buy. And this is a special edition where I'm starting with an endorsement of something that I have that I think almost any speaker should want. And that is a license with the Motion Picture Licensing Corporation. Here we are with Eileen Cordy, and she is with the Motion Picture Licensing Corporation, which makes sense since we're talking about that. In essence, what does this license allow you to do, Eileen?
4: The umbrella license is the license that we issue, and it essentially has to do with that FBI warning at the beginning of the video that we like to fast-forward. You're
0: the one that's like a $100,000 fine, criminal (laughs) prosecution, if you play video clips in your presentations.
4: Exactly. Anytime you're showing a movie outside of your home, you need an additional license, and we provide that license for speakers, training situations, and a whole bunch of other types of facilities. Anything from public libraries to federal government agencies, we can license.
0: So so I'm a, a presenter now. I know presenters who will remain nameless, Well, I I got the video clip from YouTube. Doesn't that mean that I can download it and use it in my presentation?
4: No, it does not. And a lot of people assume that they're used because it's educational, because they're not charging admission, that they don't need a license. That's not the case. You do need a license. And if you want to use movies or television programs to enhance your programming, then you need this license.
0: And this is an easy way to do that. I have a, a phrase that I use that I like to say, use Hollywood's money. I mean, here you are, you want to create a visual, emotional experience. Why not tap into Steven Spielberg? Why not tap (laughs) into George Clooney, Angelina Jolie? It's like Will Smith. I mean, they've spent millions of dollars to make a scene perfect to express a key point for you. And what you're telling us, Eileen, is we can legally do this with just a simple blanket license.
4: Exactly. Exactly. You can have those actors speak on your behalf, talk about your presentation, in a sense, when you're using that scene. And we make it easy, affordable, and legal.
0: All right. Um, Let's talk about easy, affordable, and legal because all of those things are things that we like. All right. So let's uh, talk about easy. When you say it's a blanket license, does that mean that I don't have to keep track of what movies or do I have to keep a little log and list and turn it into you and tell you how many people in my audience? Because that isn't ever going to happen.
4: Yeah, that's a great question. No, once you're licensed, there is no additional reporting. A blanket or an umbrella license means that we're providing you coverage by studio. So all the major Hollywood studios, Disney, Warner Brothers, Fox. Once you're licensed, you can show as many movies as you want, in whole or in part, from any studio we represent. And we cover over 400 motion picture companies.
0: Now, you said TV shows also. So uh, one of my favorite TV shows is The Office.
4: Yes, excellent. And
0: I am not a customer service trainer or a manager trainer or a speaker or a leadership speaker. But if I was, I would say showing Michael Scott being horrific <laughs> would be the perfect example to get a conversation going. Yes. Would that be covered under this?
4: Yes, it would. Uh, we have rights for movies and television programs. Popular television programs people are always asking about are things like The Office, 30 Rock, Modern Family, The Simpsons. We have tons of content. What about uh, Seinfeld? Seinfeld, yes. So Seinfeld.
0: Like the most popular TV show of all time, <laughs> yes. Seinfeld. Yes. No problem legally, I can show... Like any episode.
4: Exactly. Any episode of Seinfeld in whole or in part. uh, You want to show the puffy shirt episode to uh, talk about what not to wear. Uh, I might not show the (laughs) whole episode if I'm getting
0: paid to do a speech. But, (laughs) But you're saying like I could show 10 seconds of it. I could show two minutes of it. I could show 30 minutes of it.
4: Exactly. And another misconception is that, oh, it's only 10 seconds. I don't need a license. You do need a license and we can cover you for Seinfeld and many other television programs.
0: All right. So if I'm... Just showing 30 seconds from this, and I have a license, and someone from Paramount is sitting in the audience, mm-hmm. and they come up to me, uh, excuse me, Mr. Speaker here, you know, you just infringed. I just say, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I have a license through the Motion Picture Licensing Corporation, and then they say, I'm so sorry, I'm now going to run away. Is that exactly. pretty much what happens? Yeah, that,
4: that's exactly what would happen. Okay, as opposed business.
0: to, do you have a good lawyer? <laughs> yes. All right, so let's get down to the affordable part here. Mm-hmm since affordable is a relative term here for, for a one-year license, how much does that cost for NSA members, actually?
4: For NSA members, we provide very affordable rates. If Let's say that you're only doing oh five presentations a year. The license starts at $625 a year. It goes up from there depending on how many sessions you would like to use video within. And you can also contact us for custom pricing if you're doing lots of presentations each year.
0: So if I, if I have a special presentation that I want to use a movie or video clip in, I could do it up to five times for six hundred and twenty-five bucks. Exactly. And I don't have to do any reporting. I don't have to keep track of what movies or where I did it. Pretty much on the honor system here.
4: Exactly, and that's for unlimited clips or movies within that presentation. So, so if, it's if I not wanted just to use one like, scene. so if I mm-hmm. wanted
0: to use like short little snippets from scenes from fourteen different movies or twenty different movies, doesn't matter to you. Exactly. Wow. Okay, so let's talk about. I now, I now have this license, let's say.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: How do I get the movies? In other words, uh, normally I like, get it through, uh, download it through iTunes, or I might buy a DVD. Okay. Does it matter how I obtain the video in order to display it?
4: It does not, as long as it's a legal source. So whether you're downloading it from iTunes, renting it from Blockbuster, borrowing it from the library, or bringing it from home, those are all legal ways to obtain your movie. And uh, most often when you're wanting to use a scene from a movie, you'll download it in iTunes, pop it into your PowerPoint presentation, and you're ready to go.
0: All right. So let's say my friend Rocky has days of thunder with tom cruise and i want to show the Lane scene Mm -hmm. where he drives through the smoke and i'm going to use that as a a metaphor and i'm so incredibly cheap i just want to borrow the dvd from my friend is that legal
4: certainly yes
0: there you go all right so let's say someone says again this segment this this segment is called stuff speakers should buy so how do they go about buying this
4: They should call the MPLC. Um, Would you like me to include our phone number? No
0: one's going to (laughs) remember the phone number here. No one one can remember. So if they go to MPLC.org?
4: Exactly. Go to MPLC.org. We have all our contact information. You can fill out a contact form. We'll give you a call back, or you can call us directly, and a licensing representative will guide you through the process and give you a price. Does
0: it matter which representative?
4: No. uh, Anyone there can assist you.
0: There you go. Stuff speakers should buy. MPLC.org. And uh, now we're going to do some marketing moments where we spend more than a few moments talking about how to improve or elevate our marketing. And we are now here with David Newman. David, you're taking a few moments off from being the, uh, the host of the Point
1: Counterpoint segment here to talk to us about something that I believe you call the GNW model. That's right, Brian. GNW. I like to say that if you, as a professional speaker, an expert who speaks professionally, if you want to be driving that BMW, you had better master the GNW. And GNW is an acronym. It's actually a seven-level marketing spectrum. So three letters, an acronym, but seven. Three letters for seven. seven levels. So these are multitasking letters. Indeed. Okay. Here's how it works. GNW stands for I get it, I need it, I want it. Now, on the, the worst level, like level one out of seven, is you are pitching a program, a product, a seminar, some sort of value proposition to a prospect, and they look at you square in the eyes and they say, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get it. They just, you're just totally missed. A basic understanding, basic value, basic relevance, basic connection to their world. Level two is they say, okay, well, I get it, but we don't need that. We don't need that. We're doing that in-house. We have someone else that does that. We don't need it. Level three is I get it. I think we need it, but, you know, I don't want that. This is like flossing your teeth. You know, do I understand the value of it? Yes. Do I need to do more of it? Yes. Am I excited about doing more flossing? No. I don't want to do that. I have very tight contacts. Flossing is very unpleasant for me. Now, let's go to the positive side of the spectrum. Positive side, level four is, oh, I get it. Now, they don't need it. They don't want it. But at least there, you've at least broken through that basic level of communication. Level five is, ooh, Yeah, we need that around here. That would be important. Level six is, I get it, we need it, and ooh, that sounds good. I want me some of that. Mm -hmm. Now, level seven, here's where you cross the the bridge from marketing into selling effectively if they want it, and you add a layer of urgency, meaning they want it Now. now, as in, Brian, that sounds fabulous. Sign me up. When can we start? Where do I send the check? Now, here's the problem. A lot of speakers, either beknownst or unbeknownst to them, are stuck on level one. And they come up with some clever brand or they invent some word and they're just confusing their prospects. And people go, mm, I, I don't get it. And so if you're all the way stuck on level one, you need to do some evaluation. You need to find some advocates and prospects and business friends, and you have to ask them for some hard input. You have to say, hey, listen, I just came up with this new idea. Let me run this by you. Do you get it? Does it sound like something that your organization would need? The way that I articulated this, does this sound desirable? Does this sound like something that you would want? And just have them tell you the truth because if you're guessing, if you're creating programs and keynotes and seminars and building web pages and putting yourself out there in social media, all just based on a guess, that's not good. So you are failing the GNW test. I recommend you retake the test so you get an A. Getting an A is good. So applying this, you're saying
0: we got this one to seven spectrum here and we get outside feedback. So is it, you're saying it's important for us to know Reality, where are speech or services at from that
1: communication connection? where on the GNW scale we are? do they get it? do they need it? do they want it and then figure out what cha- ask them you know ask your prospects or your advocates, your friends your your folks who are in your target market say what would it take to move this from a nice to have to a must have? Or what would it take for me to put this in in your language so that, you know, you understand what I'm trying to offer here? How do I make it more appealing? How do I make it more relevant? How do I increase the perceived value of it? Mm -hmm. Because I I guess I can
0: see that if you let's say you're having a I don't get it. If you change it differently, suddenly they
1: do get it. That might jump all the way to want. Yes, indeed. You're very right. It doesn't mean you have to take seven steps. You might do one little shift, and then boom, you're at step seven, and you nailed it. On the other hand, you might be at the case of, well, yeah, we need it, like flossing and
0: exercise and eating more vegetables. We need it, but we don't want it, so that's not quite sexy enough of a topic yet. That's right. It's valuable. But it's not truly something that they want yet. Exactly, so it's
1: important but not urgent.
0: So that would be a different type of marketing challenge to figure out how do I frame that in more want language.
1: I have a very high-end technical marketing term. Uh, it needs to be sexified. That is a we, technical. We, we got to make term. it sexified. You got to make it appealing, relevant, uh, important, credible, and buyable.
0: All right, so that that that's, that's the model here. Let's apply it with an example. Just. Pick, pick a topic and show us how this could
1: uh, kind of walk up the scale. Well, at the risk of offending uh, not a small number of NSA members, let's say that you do a program on effective business writing. Effective business writing. Woo! Yeah. Now, just between you and me, how sexified do you think that is? I don't think you can put an X anywhere near it. No. That is a zero X program. So let's t- you know, that is, okay, I get it. I know what that is. I need it. It's like broccoli. You know, yes, I probably should have more effective business writing. Let's scratch that off and let's look at what's the problem behind the problem. The problem is you're writing these memos, you're sending these emails, and no one is reading your freaking stuff. Mm -hmm. So they're walking in the meetings. Well, I'm sure you got the the minutes and the agenda for this meeting. Oh, yeah, boss. No, I I did. And uh, let's see. Gosh, where is it? They didn't read it. They didn't read it. You're being ignored as a leader as a manager as an executive here's the new title for that program write it so they read it colon effective business writing strategies because that is it write it so oh yeah that's a problem that's that taps into my ego mm-hmm. that is something yes i need it yes you know yes I, I i get it first but yes i need it and of course i want that write it so they read it bam hits them right in the solar plexus of their
0: their mind. So the, the content of, of the presentation would be the same in both cases, but you framed it in such a way that now it goes from a need to, oh yes, I do need that and I want that because... Uh,
1: Being ignored is a pretty high-value need to say. That's right. We've gone emotional on them, and we hit them where it hurts. No one likes being ignored, especially managers, especially leaders, especially people in a status-type situation.
0: All right. So when, when you're looking at this and say, okay, I've got my speech title or my book title or my product title here, and I'm going to apply it on this seven scale here. Do I just ask my NSA buddies about this? Is that a good idea, bad idea, or do I need to find the real world business people
1: and get them to look at it? You know, I think asking NSA buddies is a great idea in a lot of scenarios, but not this one. Because first of all, your NSA buddies may have titles that are worse than yours on the GMW <laughs> scale. And number two, this is a buyer focused exercise. So this is someone who has a potential or is in the same buyer persona, the same kind of psychographics and demographics of people who can write you checks. So unless your NSA speaker buddies can and do often write you checks, they are not a good test market for your GNW research. So either run it by customers or get NSA friends who will write you checks.
0: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And now it's time for an awesome excerpt. This month, we hear a brief two minute, 50 second clip from the feisty and fun Pageen. New York Newsday calls Pageen a walking one woman antidote to workplace cynicism. Now, in this excerpt, we're going to hear Pageen really prep her audience for a quote. Now, I think almost every speaker uses quotes and almost every speaker does so in a pretty common, straightforward way. Not Pageen. She really gets the audience ready to hear the quote. But my favorite part, I think, is how she quickly starts to apply that quote with an example from her own past work life. Now, I cut this excerpt off pretty abruptly with Pagin yelping like a Pomeranian lapdog that just got sat on. And I guarantee you that this excerpt will leave you wanting more.
5: I had my first child and I decided that, you know, work-life balance meant for me not being in corporate America in the traditional way traveling salesperson worked for me. I would get in my car with my little baby and my mom, drive seven hours to an appointment, feed the baby, (laughs) give the baby to my mom, go meet my appointment to the buyer, do my sales, get back down, and we go off. Well, one day I was in Seneca Falls, New York, and there's a Women's Hall of Fame and when I went to the Hall of Fame to kill some time because the buyer didn't show up, I was walking in, and you know, there's always stuff to buy, little trinkets, thimbles, of spoons, you know what I'm talking about? And there is this bookcase, and there at the bottom is this piece of white Muslim with a quote on it. And I had this experience with it that was just like you guys were experiencing at lunch yesterday. When they bought out that dessert, And 90% of you started the diet that morning. And you see the chocolate dessert and you're saying, I want it, I don't, I want it, I don't. I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you. you know what I'm talking about? Oh, and then we see Jamaica. That means we're wearing bikinis. All right, in our minds. But that's why I felt with this quote. I loved it and I hated it and then I finally grabbed it and it said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. <laughs> Eleanor Roosevelt. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. That ticked me off. <laughs> because I could prove tons of times that people made me feel inferior, just as for you. They, you know tons of times that I would say, I, I do this and they'd look at me. Some of you I spoke to during the, the receptions when you maybe talk to business people who are not in this business and you forget that you're business people, that this is a business of success. Well, I would feel that way. The way they would look at me, the way they would act, and my boss would come up to me and he'd say, You, where's your report?
0: Powerful stuff and an awesome excerpt. All right, here we are with Building the Biz. We're now talking with Ed Robinson, CSP. Ed is a business growth advisor to the professional services industry. He has been speaking and a member of NSA since 1990. Ed, what are you going
6: to share with us today? My business model. Um, what I've tried to work and try to execute for, I would like to say I've been doing it for 20 years, but in the last five years, I realize how it has really paid me great dividends. So you've got a business model that's worked decently
0: for about 15 years and then much better for the last five.
6: And I have to say much better for the last five because I focus more on what do I do? And, and it's really a business growth advisor to a specific industry and specific group of people. All right. So let's kind of like to start at the beginning here. Uh, who are your core clients? My core clients are accounting firms, accounting firms, professional service firms. Everyone from accountants, lawyers, bankers, CPAs, credit unions. Um, I call myself a recovering CPA, recovering CPA. Uh, where I, I started out with the big eight, I worked for several um, corporations. I've been a controller. I had my own CPA practice. Um, I had a practice that grew rapidly. So because of which, I sold it in 1990 to start helping firms, basically helping their business development as a business growth advisor.
0: So you kind of sold it, so you had a little chunk of change to get started, so it wasn't like you spoke for chicken dinners for 10 years before you were an overnight success.
6: Exactly.
7: Okay, that's good.
6: (laughs) All right, so uh, now I, I think uh, you've referred to it as your ABCs. The ABCs, yeah. Um, While well, I started out with my initial niche being accounting firms. Mm-hmm. It has grown. Um, now I speak to the ABCs, attorneys, bankers, and CPAs. And um, we pretty much put together a vertical model, basically, for developing that type of business. Let's kind of go through
0: that model here. So does it all start with the speech? Is that usually where kind of that that
6: process is well in today's environment it actually starts off with before the speech it starts off with a newsletter of people who have either heard me or are aware of me um, I've also have a database of let's say for instance my accounting database I have a database for every accounting Association in North America including my chartered account accountants and our from from Canada our friends up north um, so with that database I probably had, it probably ended up with about 500 associations in that area, plus the additional 50 state societies as well as the provincial societies.
0: So, you get like 550 entities that you're kind of marketing to with your newsletter or articles or other type of things. So, that's where they're going to kind of, you've kind of scattered your seeds out there. That's where they're going to find
6: you. Absolutely. And, and I pretty much farm in that world. Um, That's why I went with the seed analogy. I I noticed it. I liked it, Brian. That was good. That was good. So you're watering Um, the seeds, (laughs) a little sun on the seeds. Well, let's start off with my ideal day. While I have this database, my newsletter goes to that database. Uh, My ideal day is to come in and do a keynote for that association and helping them with dealing with change and becoming business developers or salespeople within that profession. So while well, I'll start by planting the seeds with my newsletter, the next step is to come in and do a keynote for them. So what I'm initially selling is that keynote. And you're getting paid for that keynote. I, I, I'm a huge believer of work, working, <laughs> working to get feed. paid, okay. <laughs> to putting food on the table.
0: Well, a lot of times, uh, a lot of speakers will do associations just for the exposure, just for the marketing purposes, or just to sell massive amounts of product in the back. But I just want to be, be clear that you know, you're being a speaker, and for the most part, not always, I'm sure, but for the most part, you're getting paid to deliver that keynote or general session presentation.
6: Absolutely, absolutely. Right. And, I, and I, I will confess. And oh, I'm, confession I'm, and, is good. I don't know. That's hard. But I, there's several associations or several associations that have paid me Um, significantly for several years. Uh, I have this this rule. I'll use the New Jersey Society of CPAs. I probably have spoken for them about 10 times. So they'll call and they've had Ed Robinson for a while and I'll say I'll come in and and speak free. I maybe do a facilitation or help them through their process and it just keeps me fresh in the mind of several people there. And because I've worked there for some 10 speeches, I, I have a kind of a following. And because of the following, I get to spend time with my existing clients and get more clients as a result of that. So that would be the reason for sure. a free speech.
0: Gotcha. So, so if they're able to offer you some massive value of being able to hang with some really important clients, that's a great value you get for that. All right. So, you, so you've got the keynote there. Uh, is the next step of your process what I'll call keynote plus? I mean, you might do keynote, and, and what else?
6: Well, an ideal day is a keynote with a breakout session. The keynote would be basically the overall need to change, and then the breakout session would be some heavy lifting as it relates to several processes that they can use to increase their sales. So like, what might be the title of your keynote? My keynote would be from fighting the storm to dancing in the rain, dealing with the challenges in your life. Dancing in the rain. CPAs dancing in the rain. That's
0: a scary visual. Hey, it's a scary visual. You put it in isn't my it? head. Okay. Okay, so that's kind of like you said, the bigger strategic view. And then you're getting to the, uh, the breakout session here. What might the breakout be called?
6: Rainmaking strategies to grow your business.
0: All right, so that's getting a little more tactical there. Absolutely. So we talked about three parts of your system so far. One is your seeding system where they find you through newsletters and marketing and stuff. You get that keynote, then keynote plus you do keynote and the breakout. What good things can now come from either of these two? Well, because
6: I have processes, I can do the keynote and break. i break out maybe 75 minutes or 90 minutes. But as a result of that, I'll have many of those firms or consulting firms say, okay, you've kind of teased us with an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Can you come in and do a half day or a full day? Or better yet, can you spend some time with a dozen of our people to help them become better rainmakers or so that we can increase our revenue? And that's basically my my whole end game, to to be able to come into an organization and live there for a long period of time, several years at least, where I so you provide set up a my tent process in the office, a cot, you're sleeping there, the whole deal. Okay. I, I, I've had a client who actually hired me sixty to eighty five times a year, sent me to seventeen different countries, and several people. Or convinced that I was an employee, and that's good with me. <laughs> exactly. When they're confused, you're "Aren't are you? What are you a vice
0: president of?" And you're like, whatever, "You're here all the
6: time. <laughs> whatever I need to be.
0: That's right." Okay. I mean when you know when, like, do you have a parking spot? Okay. That's that's too much. That's too much. All right. So that's what I would say is so far has been what I'll call a traditional model, and people yes. go, "Okay, okay, Ed, I'm seeing that." Uh, that's pretty much what I do. I, maybe they don't have that great a uh, narrow focus, but that. But then you also have like a boot camp. How does that fit into the process?
6: Once I have gotten them to have a flavor of what I do, um, I try to bring them into my online system. I have an online system that basically provides them information through what we call Rainmaking Marketing Institute. Um, I'm actually the dean of Rainmaking Marketing dean. Institute. Should I refer to, you, refer to you as Dean Robinson now? Uh, no, nah, you don't. Okay. <laughs> However, we, we feed people into that and it's basically a monthly subscription service. So now that they have a lot more of my stuff, a lot more of my content, I'm giving them a lot of information to help them grow their business, generate leads, create more revenue. So and, to the people who are signing up for
0: this are those who have experienced you in the keynote and the breakout session. Most definitely. All most right. Most definitely.
6: And, and, and Brian and I, that was magical in what you said there because I don't try to sell my subscription service to people who haven't sat through my programs because they don't have a flavor of what I'm doing. Because they don't the want you day. yet. But yeah, then, there's no love. There's, there's no love there love. at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, once they experience you, much love. A lot more love. A lot more love. All right, so then with, the, for with your boot camp then, is does that come out of
6: then this online experience? You, you tagged it. That's exactly it. So once they have had an opportunity to go through my, my programs, they've got, they go through my monthly subscription, they, they are very familiar with the Rainmaker and what we provide. So if I did a Rainmaker boot camp where I limited to about 30 people, and now has a driving factor to get people there. And eventually, I like to do one of those every quarter. Right now, we do them twice a year.
0: All right. So first, with the subscription service,
6: is that a free online community or online experience, or do you charge money We for that? charge money for that. Nice. Um, okay. Um, we, we charge money for that. And I'll, I'll be honest. Like, um, There's a, a law firm um, that they hired me to coach about mm-hmm. 12 people. So uh, rather than individually, the firm is paying that for that online experience. So well, yeah, I somebody mean, needs to pay. It, it, it's like, well, you don't care who.
0: You don't care who. It could be their grandmother. It's like, it's like mom could pay for this. Well, but yeah,
6: can I throw a caveat there? Yes, I, I do believe in giving a lot of value and a lot of content, um, free or information, so that they know that you're bringing. You're, you're the expert in the business. Mm-hmm. But eventually, if they really need the heavy lifting, you do want them to be willing to pay for that value.
0: Uh, it's a paid subscription, but then also within that paid subscription, they're exposed to, not too heavily, it sounds like, but to the occasional offers like the boot camp. Or do they get that yes, from a no. different
6: angle? That's a different angle. When, okay. when you're on my subscription service, I'm not selling you anything. I'm just giving you a lot of stuff. Um, and I say stuff. Um, uh, a lot of uh, fabulous
0: uh, content. Fabulous material.
6: content. Um, Patricia Fripp comes to mind every time stuff comes to mind. That's She's reaching out right now. This
0: microphone and Spankham going, you know, it's like, Ed, do not say stuff.
6: <laughs> Precisely. Okay. Precisely. So that valuable content that, I, that I'm actually sending out there on an ongoing basis it can be lead generation it can be libraries of templates it's um advertising it's um, a lot of information to help a small business grow mm-hmm. and then we'll do a separate mailing or a separate let's call it a campaign we'll send mm-hmm. out a separate campaign to bring and feed people into our boot camp
0: okay so the people on your paid subscription they also get marketed to but not marketed through that vehicle where you give them all the value Not the stuff, the value. Got it. So the only piece I haven't heard so far that I was thinking might be in there would be some sort of tangible products. How does does that fit into your business model?
6: Well, I've had the opportunity to not only write several books, but I've also have some processes and systems, including a train-the-trainer program. Give you a couple of examples. Sometimes in the back of the room, after I've done a a keynote, I I do sell the books or the packages or invite people into my subscription service. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I use it as a pool. Sometimes I say if you've just listened to my rainmaking program, you may be interested in my million dollar rainmaker book. If you would like one of my my million dollar rainmaker book absolutely free, sign up for my online system. The first thirty days are free. After that, there is a subscription fee, but as soon as you sign up, I will automatically send you the million dollar rainmaker.
0: So I just want to make sure it was not the million-dollar book, it was the million-dollar Rainmaker book, because otherwise you only need to sell a few of those books. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's a good deal if you get one for free, just saying. (laughs) All right. So that's the products. What about coaching? Is that part of your business model or that's you've fled that like wolves were
6: chasing you? The only people I coach are people who have had a chance to hear me speak, gone through my training, are on my, my Rainmaker Marketing Institute. If, in fact, you're there, you can call and say, I've got this issue and I'll, I will walk you through and coach you through that process. That's kind of like a small part then. It, it is a very small part, but it, it does happen.
0: All right, Ed, here's a a question. Would you be willing to share, kind of not dollars, of course, because that would be wrong, but uh, percentage-wise, how your business model kind of breaks out from a revenue perspective? So it seems like the big chunks you've got are, you know, like, you know, keynotes and breakouts and training and the institute and the subscription. So however you'd like to do it, could you just give us a sense of how your business model breaks out from a revenue point of view?
6: Okay. The traditional model would be that most of my revenue would come from keynotes. Mm-hmm. And and the breakout. When I actually go inside a firm, it can be three times what I charge for a keynote. So while I actually consider a keynote and my breakout to be fishing ponds for a bigger purchase. However, I think my real money or my real equity in my business comes from my subscription service. Really? The subscription uh, service. Let's say let's just say for grins. For grins. That I charge ten dollars.
0: Let's, let's say, let's, we'll say let's, we'll use the term, we've been using the term drachmas. Okay, so let's okay. say using the old Greek currency drachmas.
6: Okay, if, okay. if in fact um, you came into my subscription and I, I charge 10 drachmas okay. to go through that. And I get 100 people on a monthly basis. So now I'm getting 1,000 drachmas every month. And if that continues to grow and eventually gets to 1,000, I now have 10,000 drachmas coming every month whether I speak or not. What it ends up being is I'm building a subscription service that will trump in terms of revenue growth what I'm getting paid in my keynote. That doesn't mean I stop keynoting. Right, because I mean, you got to feed the machine. It just gives me the ability to say no easier. If in fact it's not something I'm going to enjoy and I don't think they're going to see value, it's a lot easier for me to say no. I don't think that's something that I can bring a value to. <laughs> All right, and now to quote
0: Monty Python, and now for something completely different. This is kind of a one shot spontaneous interview that I've chosen to do with Alan Stevens from the UK. Now, first, Alan, you are an FPSA and a PSAE. Sounds impressive. No idea what that means.
7: Ah, well, it sounds. If, if I said CSP, CPAE, that might make more sense. We go, because, ooh. Ah. Because those are the equivalent qualifications. So a CSP is an F. It's a fellowship. Professional Speakers Association and the Professional Speakers Award of Excellence. So you have incredibly imponderable acronyms
0: also. Here's why we're talking to Alan today. During the National Speakers Association convention, towards the end of the day, there was the Global Speaking Federation members on stage and alan was kind of doing a okay here's what the federation is all about thanks nsa for you know hosting us or partnering with us and and here's actually the connection between gsf as it's called with nsa i guess i should say i started with low expectations because this this is just going to be blah 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 time yes indeed it has the potential to be stultifyingly dull stultifyingly dull yes candidly that's what i was expecting and then alan started talking and there was laughter there was interesting allusions made and come some preposterous humor that really changed how we viewed gsf so what we're going to do is we're going to play you some selected clips from this so you know what the heck i'm talking about and then i've asked alan to deconstruct what he actually said so right now again this is edited but take a
7: listen so here we've got the Global Speakers Federation Executive, we've got past presidents, we've got the future leadership standing before you. What a fine bunch they are. What a fine bunch. Um, if we had time, if we had time, which I'm afraid we don't, we're a little bit pushed for time, we would do selections from the second series of Glee. They're pretty good. <laughs> They, um, they are. They do. We are the world. That's what we rehearsed. We are the world. Not a dry seat in the house. Unfortunately, we don't have time this evening. I'm sorry about that. We'll have to do that uh, yeah, a bit later on. In Orlando a year ago, I was, I was given the, the ceremonial gavel to become the president of the Global Speakers Federation. A huge honor. And I, I thought of many of the past presidents, many of them are here Warren Evans Pritchard Ball, Catherine Palin Brickwith, Naomi, Joe. And I thought, it's about time. It's about time they gave it to somebody English. Because we gave you the language that you'll make a living from. I mean, bit of respect, thank you, bit of respect. And then I looked at the list of countries that make up the Global Speakers Federation. Actually, there were 10 a day ago. This afternoon, it's 11, because just a few hours ago, for the first time in in quite a few years, we voted a new member of the Global Speakers' Federation. France became a full member of the Global Speakers' Federation. So, uh, So trips to Paris are on for all of us, which is great news, isn't it? Absolutely fantastic. The other thing I noticed when I looked at the list of countries that made up the, uh, the now eleven member Global Speakers Federation was that the majority of them, including this one, are former British colonies. <laughs> just a fact, just telling you the facts. And most of the others Britain had been at war with for many years. So I, I was thinking this is not a good job to get. I'm not going to get a very good reception. but In fact, the hospitality that I've received both here and from all these nations has been utterly fantastic and I thank everyone for that. It's been absolutely marvellous. And incidentally, that British Empire has done you a lot of good because the fact that we invaded so many countries and made them speak English has opened up international markets for you all. It's true. It's true.
0: Back to you, Alan, here. Now, that seemed like you just did that... Off the cuff That was just mm-hmm. Improvisational brilliance But
7: that wasn't really. <laughs> kind of you to say so Yes uh, Of course I mean yeah, the, the shortest speeches And, and the, the best ad libs Take a lot of rehearsal <laughs> So it's, it's thinking about How you want to deliver That message And how you can use The situation To make that come alive And that, that's essentially What I did So you're quite right I've been thinking about this for some time, for some months, let's be fair. And a short speech of seven minutes is much harder to do well than a speech of 30 minutes. Because you've really got to come up with something that hits home very quickly and ideally creates some humour. Now. Obviously,
0: a big part of the humor was the contributions of Great Britain <laughs> <laughs> to the speaking world by that's basically right. invading other countries. Invading other countries and making them speak English, that's right. Yes, yeah, so and making them speak English, thus, because, you know, we know in North America, we're not going to learn another language. So no, sir. Uh, how and when did you come up with that metaphor, that
7: concept? Well, it, it was really, good. some time ago, I was looking down the list of the 11 federation countries that I would visited, and I realised that six of them were, in fact, former British colonies. And it was just a conversation I was having with, with my wife and business manager. And I said, look at that. We used to own most of these countries, and now I'm going <laughs> to visit them. And I was saying, maybe they won't be so keen for me to go there, because the remaining countries we've been at war with a number of times over the years, mm-hmm. I thought I wouldn't be welcome. And then I thought, well, I can use that information, and I can turn that with the fact that they speak English, back into something with an opportunity for humor. Because, you know, humor comes from an unexpected situation. People wouldn't have expected me to say that. Mm. Therefore, it becomes funny. There's some danger in there because it's like
0: colonialism, generally not a good part of of history invading. So we use colonialism war, invasion, but yet you mixed in some self-deprecating some, I should say some, you were personifying Great Britain and some Great Britain self-deprecating humour there. So did you test this? Did you run this by anyone or
7: you just went for it? Of course. No, of course I tested it several times. I tested it on colleagues. I tested it in the executive committee of the Global Speakers Federation the previous day to see how people reacted. I didn't want to offend anybody because although humour can offend slightly, you don't want to offend a large audience. But the other interesting thing there is that I didn't start with that. It was in the middle of the seven-minute speech because I wanted to test the audience to see how they were reacting to some softer humor before I tried that material. And if that hadn't worked, I would have changed that middle section, even on the fly right there. So you had a carefully prepared ad lib game plan. Exactly. How would you first have noticed that, uh-oh, my carefully crafted, rehearsed plan <laughs> is going south, as we say in the U.S.? Well, as I say, I, I started with some gentle humor. I started talking about Glee and pretending that people behind me from the Federation were a Glee choir. And they might, they might have sung We Are The World or something. That, that started a small laugh. And, and you know when you're we're doing comedy, which, which a lot of us do, once you start a laugh roll and you can start to kind of surf that laugh wave, you're going to be okay. You can say almost anything. In fact mm-hmm. if, if that hadn't worked I'd have had to bring One of the really good lines Up to second place And try that If that hadn't worked Then I was going to have to do Something completely different And what would you have done? What I would have done I would have probably Gone back to the Stultifyingly boring You <laughs> we are in fact The Global Speakers Federation And this is what we do With these 11 countries And we're here to help mm-hmm. um, Because if your, if your humor is not working with a crowd, and sometimes you don't know why that happens. Sometimes we've all done humor and it doesn't work in a, in a comedy club or something. Then the, the best you can do is to get out as quickly as possible. Uh, in
0: crafting this, did you write it out? Did you write it out, memorize it? Or is it just that you tested it enough times that you basically had it memorized?
7: What I was doing, I was, I was testing little key phrases and little key notes. So I, I tried little bits from here and there. And in fact, quite a lot of the stuff that I tested out, I dropped completely. Mm-hmm. So I had probably about 25 30 minutes of material most of which had to go. Had to go into the bin because I tried it on people and I would see them look at critical, or they would smile and they'd say well that's kind of funny but not very funny. So it, in other words what you need to do is to produce a lot more material than you actually need and then hone it down to the stuff that you think is going to work. A lot of work for 7 minutes. Yes, but it's an important occasion. If you mm-hmm. think I was on stage in front of 12 1300 people you know, at, the, at the big convention in America, the NSA convention, the biggest in the world it 's important that because i 'm representing the global federation i 'm representing my country as well i 'm outside my country, and therefore it 's got to be good You were a, a, a seemingly an ambassador of improvisation
0: well, it 's very kind of you to say so but it was actually the, uh, the count of crafting <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much For those of you who weren 't at convention and if you weren 't, I really encourage you to go there. Uh, One of the lasting effects was I am now more interested in GSF and the Global Speakers Federation than I was before I heard you say that. So what could have been a – what was it? What was your – Stultifyingly dull. Stultifyingly (laughs) dull transition used humor that made an impact on me. So now I've actually investigated further what GSF is all about, which is – which is an
7: outcome that probably is what you had in mind. Well, it well, exactly that. And, and, and there was one kind of strong anchor in there, and that is that I used the name of the website, globalspeakers.net. There, I've done it again. You cleverly, cleverly slipped it I in. What was that website so again? globalspeakers.net. Because that's the one, and I, I did actually say at the end of that, and that's the one thing I want you to remember. In other words, you know, really fix that in place while I was wrapping humour around that. So it's give people a nice good feeling, but one strong thing that you want them to go away with. And if you give somebody something on the back of a laugh, as we all know, it makes it stick. And stick, it did.
8: I'd like to personally invite you to the NSA Winter Conference to be held next month February 3rd through 5th in Dallas, Texas, Bill Stainton and Ruby Newell Legner have created an incredible experience for you to help you monetize your message. And if you're still on the fence about whether to attend, let me tell you a little story. Last June, I visited the NSA St. Louis chapter. At lunch, I was joined by NSA past president, Sam Silverstein. It was about a month before I was to be installed as the NSA president, so I asked Sam about his experiences and biggest lessons learned from visiting the chapters. Sam immediately told me, there are three things I heard most often from NSA members. One. I wish I'd joined NSA sooner. Two, I wish I'd gone to a national event earlier in my membership. Three, some of my dearest friends are members of NSA. Are these things true for you as well? I know they are for me. When I first started my speaking business in 1992, I knew about NSA but didn't join until 1994. Then, I didn't attend my first convention until 1996. I lost four years of learning. When you come to the NSA Winter Conference, you'll learn the latest about partnerships, technology, and streams of revenue. Presenters will not only discuss how to do each technique they employ, but how to sell it as well. You'll discover how to turn your expertise into systems products, and services that will add to your bottom line. Personally, I'm eager for the toolkit session that will show me exactly how to format my eBooks for the Kindle. So yes, the education will be phenomenal, but you'll also see your old friends and make some great new connections. You'll recharge your batteries by being around an incredible group of people, all seeking to make a difference in their clients' lives. You'll learn from and hang out with some very impressive individuals who are on this life journey of professional speaking. But beyond learning and connections, perhaps most importantly, you'll discover the very essence of NSA. NSA is the only place I know where like minded people work with each other and openly share trade secrets to help everyone be more successful rather than against each other as competitors. We all know you can't go it alone in this business. And there is a spirit in NSA that is truly unique to our culture of speaking. And you can't help but get wrapped up in the excitement. So come to the Winter Conference. It will inspire you to action with incredible education, connect you to a unique giving family, and recharge your soul with the NSA spirit. See you there.
0: Each VOE closes with a special segment called VO Me. That's right, basically commentary by me about some aspect of speaking, communication, or just things that strike my fancy. This month, we are doing an analysis of another example of being verbally viral this time in the public space. And for that, I ask you to consider these four words. George Clooney, paparazzi, genocide. Okay, the words Clooney and paparazzi may seem to go together. I mean, come on, you totally look at the tabloids while at the grocery store. But genocide? Yet if you read Newsweek's cover story on George Clooney, a 21st century statesman, you would have discovered a massively successful verbally viral line that makes this all make sense. For those new to VOE, I have defined verbally viral as a powerful positioning line that is gettable, memorable, and repeatable. It is the ultimate in pithy, snappy, and viral. You hear it, are affected by it, and tell others. Now here's the backstory. Since 2005, George Clooney has been investing his celebrity power in compelling public and political attention to the plight of Sudan. That is the same country that has experienced the genocide of 400,000 people in Darfur. Warring rebels, militias, and government forces continue to wreak human carnage along the north-south border of Sudan. But those same factions are wary of world scrutiny. Enter George Clooney, or more specifically, George Clooney's satellite. The deal is this. Privately funded and publicly accessible satellite imagery is focused on the border to search for troop movements, bombed or raised villages, or any other visual evidence of impending violence to civilians. Okay, in essence, that's the descriptive but rather clunky and unmemorable pitch you read on the satsentinel.org website. Now, in stark contrast, when talking about his satellite to Newsweek, George's pitch got the job done in six memorable words. He said, I'm like the anti-genocide paparazzi. Let that sink in. I'm like the anti-genocide paparazzi. That's impressive humor humor. And genocide in the same sense it's tapping the power of a unique simile now satsentinel.org isn't just a technology solution it's a strategy of focusing attention on those who absolutely do not want attention that's a bold emotional component to this message that is unable to be realized with terms like satellite imagery contrast that with george's simile the magic appears with the use of the word paparazzi It supplies both the meaning and emotion of intrusive documentation. Just like in Lindsay Lohan's life, the cameras are in the subject's face and the cameras are inescapable. Yet the interesting twist in this case is that since we have no sympathy for the subject, the government forces and militias, not Lindsay, we actually value the paparazzi. What is normally a negative instantly is transformed into a positive. Plus, since George is normally stalked by paparazzi, we also understand and appreciate the irony of it all. Now, I don't yet have confirmation from Mr. Clooney that he uses this line at every fundraising event he does for Sentinel, but I am confident he does. Note, I have posted a message on his wall on Facebook but haven't heard back. No matter what other examples or stories George may say or share at fundraisers, this is the takeaway line that people will remember. What is the Satellite Sentinel Project? Anti-genocide paparazzi. So here's our challenge. What line in our speech communicates concept and emotion and can go verbally viral? Well, that's it for this month. Let's keep the conversation going on VOE by commenting on our Facebook posts at NSA VOE and the National Speakers Association Facebook page. We'll talk again in March.